What's up, everybody, and welcome to Team Give and Go Podcast, April 15, 2020. This podcast is long overdue, but we're back with more information regarding the game we all love. First and foremost, I hope everyone out there listening is staying safe from the coronavirus, a.k.a. Rona. That's what I like to call her. As a player, I know it's been heartbreaking, but I also know as a parent, it has been tough not being able to see your child running up and down the pitch. But I promise you, we will all be supporting our favorite youth and professional team before we know it. The most important thing right now is to stay safe, stay at home, and, and wash, wash your hands. <laughs> That's right, wash those hands. Nevertheless, I'm happy to be back with my team, T. Lynn, Miss Chantel, and no other than Jason. To talk about the beautiful game and a few topics such as training with purpose, transitioning to a new team, what coaches and scouts are looking for, and so much more. So with that said, I would like to personally let you guys know what I've been up to since our last podcast, and it goes a little something like this. Soccer practice, soccer practice, soccer practice, more soccer practice, game, tournaments, traveling, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Rinse and repeat, right? Since we last talked, I got my Uber Soccer Dad license. Learned how to juggle soccer ball a little bit. Went to a couple of U.S. Women National Teams uh, games. Uh, bought like five pair of soccer shoes because last month's shoes just wasn't cool anymore, right? Purchased a few new balls and, and you know how the routine goes. To be truthful with you all, I feel a little guilty that I'm enjoying this break a little due to the virus. On the other hand, the soccer dad in me really wants to get cranked back up. I'm missing the long car rides, hearing all the drama of what happened in school, delusional parents on the sidelines, the excitement of the game, etc. I'm pretty sure this sounds like everybody else since we last talked, right? <laughs> okay, enough about me. Oh, oh, really quick. Uh, we have a defector on the phone that we need to hear from. Chantel, <laughs> we want to know what's been going on with you. Because the last time we had a podcast, your daughter was on the same team as our daughters. Then you left and went with the enemy. <laughs> you got to let the listeners know why you made that decision. What was your frame of mind? And when is it a good time to make that transition. Okay, well, Troy, thank you. Um, I do miss you all, obviously. You know, my team, Give and Go family. Um, it's always good to be amongst uh, teammates and families who look like you. So that made it all uh, a hard decision for Annalie and myself and my family to make that jump to a new club. Um, the reason for that, there's multiple factors. Um, some of the factors initially that I was thinking wasn't the, wasn't the right thing to do. To be honest with you, thinking as a parent, being selfish, I thought to myself, my daughter should not be playing defense. She's the smallest on the team. Mm. Um, and knowing the size, looking strategically towards the future, I didn't think, you know, she was going to be a, a big or nice-sized player to be able to play that position in the long run. However, when I look back, you know, I actually appreciate that position because she learned to play defense better for that year. 
And so it helped her grow. So she developed that year. In hindsight, she did develop, got the, got the opportunity to play another position, defense, and I think overall it helped her um, as a player. Um, but at the same time, um, knowing that there were other opportunities out there, didn't feel not feeling that my daughter may have been a been valuable on the team or a key contributor. Um, I felt that you know what, let's see what else was out there. And the reason I chose the club that we did was because looking strategically, I was thinking if any club, I knew this was going to be our year before we go DA, having the opportunity to learn and develop in a new position, um, it was offered for her to play midfield, be taught that position, opportunity for development because the coach at that time, he'll tell you at the time he said, I don't, he don't care about winning. I felt the coach um, at that time or still today was giving some kind of development, some knowledge, some learning or teaching that we weren't getting. And so one thing that he committed to was the teaching the soccer IQ. Um, I never played soccer. I grew up watching it. My brother played and my son played. But the soccer IQ was something that I thought or think has to be taught over and over and, and um, installed into the players. And so knowing that was his philosophy and his goal and watching his training and watching what my kid was doing, I was like, oh, my God, this is, this is where I want her to be. Yeah, and I think yeah. just to add on to that, too, what I, you know, really uh, applaud you on and admire is just the candidness on the decision-making process, right, and the reasons for the transition. Because I, I, I think what, you know, oftentimes, you know, parents, teammates, and coaches tend to forget that making a change and transitioning and leaving one team going to another is not an easy decision. Right? Okay. Like parents don't right. necessarily, and kids don't necessarily just wake up and say, yep, nope, I'm gone, I'm done, I'm, I'm moving on. Right? There is like thoughtful discussion and, and planning and outweighing the pros and cons um, with it. So just to be able to shed that light for other parents out there that may be in similar situations or feeling like, you know, am I in the right situation? Is it time for me maybe to seek other options? I think that really truly gives them um, perspective that it is a, it's a decision journey, right? And it has to be yeah. right for the child, right? But, you know, it, it also has to be right for the parent and all things have to connect. Now, that doesn't mean every decision turns out to be the best ideal situation, but I think the thought process that you put into it, um, your family put into it, um, that your daughter put into it, definitely helps to ensure that that transition goes as smoothly as possible. Sum that up. And just, just to summarize, so our decision was about opportunity for my daughter, the player, for development and learning a new position, um, the coaching training and coaching style or playing style for the team, and then the ease of communication with the coach. I mean, I felt the coach was direct. <clears throat> I was, I felt like I can easily communicate and talk to the coach. And so those are things, and, and, and trust him. And if you're going to make that decision, I think the perfect time to make it is before you get into the U15 
age group, right? Absolutely. Before, before yeah. 10, 15, because that's the, uh, this, those years, these last year and a half or season and a half for Annalie has been very important for her to learn various things. Now, when we become U15, you know, or U14, you never know. Um, it's really about you, you know what's out there, and you just really got to figure out where you want to be. As parents, we all talked um, a lot offline just about the stage that we're all in now, right? So rewind back maybe a year and, you know, a year and a half ago, and, you know, we were all in on kind of the, the play and the games, and it was so competitive, and it was about the winning, and we were all just, you know, highly aggressive in our child's journey, right? And yep. we, sometimes we had to have that reminder of ourselves, like, oh, my gosh, they're 10, they're 11, they're, yep. you know, 12. It, it, it doesn't mean much right now, right? And we mm-hmm. had to kind of remind ourselves of that. And But now we're at that stage of, hey, these girls are 13, right? There are schools that are making decisions about the players who are 15. That's merely a two years away, you know, yep. and so it's that idea of, as a 13-year-old or, you know, for the younger kids that are preparing for this next stage, you know, what does it mean now at this age, at 13? What should we be focusing on as parents and what should our um, kids be focusing on in regards to just kind of overall development and the preparation of getting themselves ready? When I think about a child's journey in soccer, um, and youth soccer, I break it out into kind of three three pieces. Um, there's the pre-U13 DA, select whatever you want to call it. There's the U13 through the maybe the U17, and then there's actually probably not even U17, so U13 to U15, and then U15 to U kind of 17, 18, if you will, when you become, you know, somewhere around a senior in college. And so um, there's been a lot of lessons learned, and I think why this podcast and this set of folks will be impactful in terms of helping to educate and give real tangible evidence and information in terms of the development of your, of your children, this, this is important. So when you think about your kid when they're young, um, it's like, hey, I don't know, you know, a lot of us are first-generation soccer parents uh, and maybe second-generation soccer parents, um, but, but in those terms, you, you kind of don't know what you don't know. And you come into it and you're, you know, you're blue-eyed and you're wide-eyed and, you know, there's all these great things. They're like, oh, yeah, my kid, man, my kid scores a million goals. She's going to be awesome. She's going to be Mia Hamm. She's going to be Team USA, right? You get into that and, you know, it's all good and you're winning and all that. But um, I think um, there's a lot of things that, you know, in terms of, you know, U13 and below that are really important. And if you think about it in this, in this context, it can give you some clues and insights into really what's important. So, um uh, the coach that coaches our team, um, my daughter's team now, and Coda is a part of that team, is Adrian Solka. And, um, you know, he's the director of Solar um, Soccer Club. The thing is, with him, he had a meeting with us one day, and 
you know, he, he kind of, you know, is breaking down like, hey, yeah, the team's really good and all these girls have a lot of capabilities and potential, et cetera. But what he broke down, what I thought was most meaningful and most impactful was what's important in terms of a youth soccer player, which is can you dribble, can you pass, can you shoot, and then your decision-making, right? So there's kind of four pieces there. And those four pillars are the key for any youth soccer player to develop. Um, for, for me, and I, I think about my daughter, uh, Zoe, and her journey, you know, we learned a lot along the way. And, um, you know, I'd almost be offended today if someone said, hey, you know, hey, your daughter uh, is really fast and, you know, she's, uh, she's won a lot of games. I'd be offended if that's the thing that you saw in, in the way that she played because there's so much more to it, right? It's, it's the passing. It's the, it's the first touch. It's the control. It's the dribbling. You know, it's the decision-making, those things. And so when you're young, you know, people get hung up on, oh, yeah, we played against whatever youth team and back in 2000 and whatever, and the score was 2-1 to one or whatever. We won, right? But the big question is how did your daughter play or your son play? Jason, real quick, I think you just touched upon something that needs to be heard again. It's hard to resist the urge to win. We're not saying that you shouldn't want to win. That's just human nature. And the one thing that is very hard to change is that urge. I think it's about measuring what success looks like. I think that's where most American soccer players and parents have it wrong. Success is something players take ownership of. And in time, it becomes personally meaningful. It's a process, not a product. The process of doing your best is the key to success and thus winning in the big scheme of things. Just give 100%. Winning isn't everything, but trying to is. 100%. And at the end of the day, the foundation and the fundamentals are important at U13. When you get to U13, I mean, at below U13, when you get to U13 to U15, um, I think you get into a more competitive space where at U13, you're now preparing yourself for what is going to, what I think, what I call, quote unquote, the big time. Um, because at U13, you start DA here in Texas. And when you start that DA process, now you get into a place where it's a little bit more structured. It's a little bit more rigor. It's a little bit more rigorous in terms of, you know, the subs, in terms of playing time. Because now it's not the whole thing of, hey, you're on the team and we're trying to give you equal playing time and all that. No, now it's, hey, what do you bring to the table? What's your decision-making look like? How have you progressed your game past this kind of youth level now to a more, a little bit more uh, sophisticated way of playing? And then how are you executing according to, you know, the goals and, of the team and the individual goals that are set up and your player, de player development program that's been created for you? Like, how are you individually and how do you fit into the team concept? And that, what that does is propels you and, and sets you up and prepares you for uh, the U15 and beyond where now you get into a place where colleges are looking at you um, and, and you're really under a microscope in, term of, in terms of how you've transformed and developed yourself from you little whatever to where you are today. Sum that up. There were like three points, right? Like, you know, as you were speaking that I was thinking about that you, you discussed, right? The first thing was fundamentals. 
right? Just the basics of of, of soccer, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Dribbling, the passing, the decision-making, the first touch. These are all things that, believe it or not, sometimes people still take these things for granted, yeah. right? And you see yeah. it on the field every day when you look at different players and you're like, you got to hone in and you got to focus in on those fundamentals because that's what at least will provide the foundation. You, and, and the second piece that you talked about is, you know, going outside of the, the win versus losses, but the development of the individual player. Did my child play better um, in this particular game than they played in the last game? Or did they take the points, the hints that or the areas of focus that they needed to work on, and did they apply that from one game to the next, right? That's that right. part of the development that as parents – we should be looking at at this age, regardless of the win or the loss, but did you do the things that you committed to or we identified that you were going to work on? Did you work on that, and did you improve upon that in the next game, Amen. right? That's that development yep. piece. You have to trust the process, player. It's a process, right? And, and that third piece is the contribution. You know, we're away from the days where everybody has to get fair and equal playing time. Coaches are looking for people who are standing out, who have honed in and worked on the fundamentals, who are um, where they can see the development season after season, right, because they know that those players are the ones putting the work in. So it's all about the contribution. So, I mean, I think that – you know, what you discussed and talked about was a lot of insightful information. I think as parents, we really need to think about and be focused on is can we check the box on fundamentals? Can we check the box on individual development? And can we check the box on how our children have contributed to the team? And I think one of you all made the statement um, a little bit ago, you know, it's particularly for, you know, multicultural girls, right, um, and African-American girls. And, and the reason why Team Give and, Go, Give and Go was formed was because we want, we want the opportunities to be equal. We want the, the playing field to be equal, right? It's not about, you know, accelerating any one player of any race over the other, but it's about ensuring that the foundation is equal for all so I wanted – see, I love how you frame that. And, that. and that's really important because you think about it. If your kid's playing youth, so uh, youth soccer and they're playing select, DA, UCNO, whatever league outside of rec, they're paying. Well, you're paying. And so yep. if you're paying, then that means – and I think in your mind, you, you're not just paying just for, you know, I've heard this before. People are like, oh, yeah, you know, she, she's having fun and the friendships and all that. But to me, you know, if I think about why I'm paying money for my daughter to play soccer and I'm traveling around the country and she's young or whatever, right, um, I need to get bang for my buck and I need to get value. And so when you think about it in terms of getting value, especially as, African-American kids. I'm, I mentioned this before and I'm going to say it again. A lot of times people want to categorize you, especially when they're young, right? Oh, man, she's yeah. really fast. Uh, you know, she's, she's really strong. Man, okay, great. Yeah, those are attributes that are good, but those are not yeah. attributes. Like when you think about the game, 
at a level higher than you little whatever, what matters, the things that matter is your technical ability, decision-making, et cetera. And so for, um, for, for parents, a challenge that I have, especially if you don't know what you don't know and you're the first-generation soccer parent is, are you in tune to what's happening with the game? When I say what's happening to the game, with, with the game, are you talking to other first-generation parents and getting their perspective and their wisdom and their knowledge, which is very little, which is very minimal? Or are you actually listening to the people who are at the higher level, the decision makers, the players in the game, the CEOs, the executives, the head coaches, the recruiters, the technical folks, and hearing what they say? Because if you do that, your perspective changes immediately and your focus changes immediately um, to something that's more uh, in terms of, you know, hey, your kid really loves a college. Let's say your kid loves uh, University of Florida. The head coach from University of Florida is Becky Berlay. Well, she's all over YouTube. What are things that she loves? She loves through balls. She loves players that are aggressive and that can run. But at the end of the day, she feels like a, a perfectly weighted through ball is, is, is the key to unlocking the defense because you, 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 you beat multiple layers of the defense with a perfectly weighted through ball to the feet of another player. So there's those little things, those little caveats, right, that, you know, yeah. you making these investments, multi-thousands of dollars, probably more yeah. than 10000 I mean, I know for sure with, with the folks on this call, more than $10,000 a year in terms of investment, I mean, you got to have, have your ears to the streets to know what's happening. You're absolutely correct. I couldn't agree with you more, Jason. Uh, it sort of brings to mind uh, the last game that we were at together in uh, we were watching the older girls play, and uh, we were standing next to uh, a scout. And I asked the scout, I said, so what are you looking for here, you know, in, in the players? And, uh, and he said, well, you know, we are in the SEC, and the SEC tends to be a little bit more physical, uh, tends to be uh, all about speed. Uh, so I'm looking for girls with, uh, with that speed on the outside, with the technical abilities, uh, to slow the play down in the middle. Uh, so, you know, it, it blew my mind because I never really thought about it that way. Uh, based on where my daughter wanted to play, uh, I need to make sure that uh, if it was the SEC, then her game is tailored and suited uh, uh, for that conference. If it's the West Coast uh, and how they play on the West Coast, then or the school that she wants to go to on the West Coast, then her game needs to be tailored a little bit more to that. So it's really about really trying to develop, uh, first of all, an overall game, a quality of play, uh, make sure that you're fit, but also if you're trying to identify colleges and universities to go to, uh, then, then do a little research and understand uh, what the conference looks like, what the conferences look like, right? What are their needs? What are the specific needs of these universities and these coaches? Thank you, Troy and Jason, because that really hits home for me as I have a son who's a sophomore in high school. And he's 15 years old. However, starting, what, June 30th, uh, he will be able to start officially talking to coaches at universities. And so hearing that feedback from you guys and um, it's key because 
right now I'm having him while we have downtime go look up all the coaches, learn a little bit about the coaches that he would like to play for so that when he's sending them those letters, sending those coaches letters, um, he'll know what their key care abouts are, right? So learning and knowing how those coaches or those teams play in the SEC and all the different regions is very important. Um, I was going to say that's important for us, um, this age group and up. For those who are younger, I know you guys don't care about what the college coaches are looking. You're just happy out there playing soccer, and that's okay. And typically at that young age, you do have coaches and parents who are saying, oh, that girl is fast or that boy's fast. And that's true because that's, at that age, young age, you, the kids are out there having fun. They're running fast. And the ones who are running the fastest or kick the ball the farthest are going to shine at that age. However, when you're, starting, when you're getting about, what, 10, 11 uh, team, that's when you probably want to make sure you have a coach. And even younger, I mean, Start looking for those coaches who are going to develop your your child to help take you to hey, the next level. That coach is not hey, developing your child. Yep. So, so as you think about what you just said, right, in terms of experience, you probably have the most experience because Alex is, what, a sophomore or glad yeah. going to his junior year now, all this COVID crap. Um, I know. But in terms of describing Alex's attributes, right, like what's going to make someone make a decision on in terms of Alex. Can you, you know, briefly describe Alex's attributes? Well, so you put me on the spot here, Jason, but I'm gonna tell you what I think his attributes are. So he is very he's a very hard worker, right? I don't have to tell him to go work out, to go work on his soccer. I mean, that's part of his daily routine. Just like with school work, with the remote learning, he's going out there, going to jog working on his fitness, going to come inside the house, lift some weights, working on his ball and, and technical skill set. He's focused and he's driven. But he's at that age where, I mean, starting probably at the age of 11, I no longer had to tell him, hey, you need to be working on your soccer because that's how important, that's how he approaches the game of soccer, the sport that he loves. Um, he's a hard worker. Um, he's coachable. Oh, my God, this kid is coachable. I mean, you have to be a coachable player in order to play for any university, any good university, I think. No, that's absolutely true, Chantel. There are a lot of things a coach can focus on, like technical and tactical play. But the one thing I hear that is essential for all coaches, that all coaches are looking for, right, are players having the right attitude and mindset. I believe for them, it's critical uh, uh, in order for them to uh, inspire others to create a positive environment and develop confident players. By having players with the right mindset, it sets the tone for their team. You know, I think the great coaches out there, they get this and they spend more time developing the most important part of a player's game, and that's their mind. I actually heard a D1 coach uh, tell a promising player, hey, look, you may be good, and uh, but with the attitude that you have, no coach is going to want you in their locker room. No coach. So keep that in mind as your player uh, continues to develop.
You know what? And, and speaking of coachability, and I probably just made up a word, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's one of the things we, you know, we've talked about before, right? And and I, I just want this group to kind of shed some light on this, right? Because we're all, you know, we were all kind of coming in where we were used to our kids playing certain positions, right? Um, and, you know, the, the further along, you know, they go through this, this, this soccer world, the, the transition of teams, the older they get, sometimes the positions that we thought we knew to be true are not the positions that they're going to end up playing in youth, high school, or even at the collegiate level. So the idea of being a coachable, you know, student is it relates so much to, you know, you got to be able to understand and learn the game and listen to your coaches, but you also have to adapt, right? You have to be flexible because understanding the game of, of soccer and knowing soccer honestly should mean that a kid should technically be able to go out um, on the field and play whatever position they're required to play. So what do, what do you all think about that? Well, T. Lynn, I would tell anyone listening with kids, you 13 and under, play soccer, not a position. I mean, this is the motto I live by and one that I have instilled in my daughter at an early age, uh, knowing that things and positions change along the journey, right? Make yourself valuable to your team and coaches. Many times players and parents, you know, they get enamored with highlights and celebrated pro, uh, pro players who are, by the way, experts at their positions, don't forget that, and who have most likely played multiple positions on their journey. Uh, I'm noticing, you know, that parents and players uh, that have the attitude that my daughter only plays this or my son only plays that will be in for a rude awakening 99% of the time as they age. Let me tell you, there are thousands of other players around the country who feel the same way, right? And if you happen to play collegiately, I'm pretty sure there will be an All-American starting in the only position you know. Are you valuable now? Can a coach plug you in at another position? Do you want to be on the field? Yes, there will be times when you have to own a place on the pitch. But at the early ages, don't pigeonhole your players to start believing their value is only as good as that one single spot they play. That's how I feel about it, T. See, if you think about what you just said and what Troy articulated and what Chantel mentioned earlier, Troy, Troy's statement sums it up perfectly, which says play soccer, not a position. And yep. so yep. when you guys think about your daughter's or your son's development, it's play soccer, and it's not a position. Now, yes, you have your eyes to see these little intangibles, right? Hey, my, my daughter is biologically this, right? So that probably fits right. There's more certain strengths than you think that about your the game or whatever, bring right? To the table. Yep, absolutely. Right? But, but in terms of the way that they train, in terms of the way that they develop themselves as, as, as a soccer player, and the way, and, and in terms of the investments that you make and, you know, the direction that you give in terms of, supporting this development of your child. Playing soccer not a position is really critical. Let me ask you something, guys. What do you think about the whole pay, the play, uh, you know, with U.S. soccer? I never played a sport that required a payment. 
right? If right. it wasn't offered at the school, right, and maybe mm-hmm. you pay $20 for the uniform rental mm-hmm. fee, right, mm-hmm. I didn't play. So the whole idea of play, paying to compete was new, you know, right. coming to Dallas and, and having a kid to play. But we have to remember we have stake in the club, the organization, or wherever our kids play, and it is our duty and our right to have those candid conversations with the coaches. And we may not always see eye to eye, and that's okay because sometimes the coaches will bring a new and different perspective that we can't see as parents, right, because we're so caught up in our child. And I can also respect that, right, and they need to do that. Right, but at the same time, whatever perspective they're bringing to the table, what is the resolution or what are the actions that they're taking that are taking place that's going to benefit, you know, our individual children? And at this stage, also understanding what your child's goals are, right? Yeah. Because when you when you say it out loud and you have it on paper, you know, for the child and for you to say, okay, this is what my kid is aspiring to do or to be, it makes it real. And now you can have that conversation with the coach to say, okay, what is it going to take for her or him to achieve their goals? It's not about everybody else right, because everybody's going to have different goals that, you know, or uh, different objectives that they're trying to achieve. But now if you know and you have a clear direction or at least somewhat of a direction of what they're trying to do, now you do, collectively you can build a plan to say, okay, knowing that this is what this student athlete wants to do, this is the path or these are the things that we need to work on to get them there. It makes it real. Oh. Right, oh, instead of it. just going through the flow. Sum that up. I love that, T-Lan. So I'm going to summarize that. So know what your kid is inspiring to do and what it takes to achieve those goals. And then collectively, when you're in those discussions with the coaches in your one-on-ones or the mid-year assessments, whatever that is, then you figure out, work together to figure out what has to be done for that kid or player to achieve those goals. Absolutely. I like it. I'm taking that into my next assessment. Hey, hey, young player. Hey, mama. Hey, daddy. What's up? Do you have a plan? I mean, do you have a plan, man? Do you have, do you have a plan? So, so, so as you think about this structurally, um, you have a goal. You guys, between your child and you, you have a, joint goal that you want to accomplish and then as you think about that goal and what you do on a day-to-day week over week month over month year over year basis is are the actions that you're taking helping you achieve that goal and if they're not you're doing the wrong thing you're not you're nowhere close to what you want to achieve but if you have a goal and then you have a plan, and when you have that plan, you're executing that plan, but that plan is agreed upon by you, your child, and then the club coach, whomever that is, then you have an effective path in order to, if at all possible, achieve that goal. But if you don't have those elements in place, then you're, you're basically operating in a random, by happenstance, 
by circumstance, hopefully this will happen, but you have no clue because you don't have a plan. That's really important. This just in. Thousands of soccer kids are at home due to the coronavirus. How are they staying fit? How are they coping? What have our kids been doing since the coronavirus, right? You know, now they're e-learning, we're at home, there's no more of that drive time and that hustle and bustle, you know, back and forth to practice. So what are what is everyone doing to, to keep their kids in, in shape, to hone in on skills? Like what are some practices maybe that you could share with all the parents that are out there listening to us? Um, today on just how to maximize and be efficient with the time that we all have at home together? So depending on where, you're, where you are, right, in the country, you're impacted by COVID-19 in a different way, right? Like if you're in New York or Jersey or somewhere in that northeast corridor or you're in Cali um, or Florida or Detroit, you know, it's, it's it's maybe a little bit more tough for you because some of the the governmental kind of restrictions have probably limited you to to more of being in your house, right? More than possible, like you've got the you know kind of the mandatory shelter in place. In Texas, um, where we are, we've had that kind of rule, but there's also availability to say, hey, practice social distancing if you need to go out. Uh, where I live, down kind of the south of the Metroplex, the parks are still open. They've, they've ripped down the rims and all the kind of things, so you can't really, you know, you won't, you won't see people gathering, playing basketball or any of that stuff. But that being said, because the parks are open, um, you can find a sliver of space. And for us, um, I kind of feel like this has been a, 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 a really good time um, in terms of being able to look at what it what transpired in the fall season and and this kind of first part of the spring season if you will up through uh march for z look at her player development plan which we call the pdp and then work specifically on the items that are on that player development plan to ensure that um she's mentally ready to ensure that she's physically ready and tactically uh ready technically ready to approach the game when it does come back in a way that she'll be meaningful and impactful no matter where or how she plays. So, so what we've been working, what we've been working on totally is her PDP. So for her, it's, you know, working on her body uh, shape in terms of receiving the ball, um, working on the, on her, um, her ability, her accuracy with striking the ball. Um, um, and then the different techniques associated with that. So it's almost been like a blessing in disguise in terms of, you know, hey, a lot of the training and stuff that they do, that the kids do, um, is team-focused and not individually focused, and, you know, rightfully so because you got a coach or two coaches and you have 18, 20 girls, whatever it is, and so you got to more focus on the team, but 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 now this time is, is given us the chance to really hone in on those things that you know those little those nuances that are going to help Z get to the places that she wants to achieve, get to the goals that she wants to achieve, and really focus in and get those things really developed well. They're always thinking about 
the next season. But that's the, when we come back from this, whenever we come back, it's, they're going to be working on the next season, right? And oh, so my God, they're going to work hard. Oh, yeah, and he already said, what about every time they have a call, have you, are you guys working? He goes down the list and then gets to Alex or whoever. What have you been working on? What have you been doing? And they have to go, and I try to listen because I want to make sure he's not lying, but he works hard. And, and bottom line, if you're not doing what you're gonna, supposed to be doing or what they tell you to do or what you know you should be doing, like you said, Troy, when the time comes back, they're going to be able to tell. So you can lie or whatever, <coughs> but reality if you're not ready, and it's going to be, and it's going to be so much comp- competition because guess what? We're getting ready for a new season, so you don't know who's going to yeah. show up at your trainings and, and practices exactly. and tryouts. So you better be ready. You better come back fit. Look, I yep. think, uh, like, I think in terms of kind of what we're talking about, you know, I think about Z and and this journey because if you if if you really kind of we're we're in basically self-isolation, right? You're with your family or whomever, but your quarantine, you know, you're you're basically paired to the people that you're closest to, and you don't really Mm -hmm. have a chance to interact with others. And um, through this, this, man, I've learned so much about my family in general, but, like, for Z, uh, I've learned a lot about her and, like, her heart and her mind and, you know, one thing I feel like an outcome that's coming out of this because the trainings that they give, I don't know about, you know, other clubs or whatever, but I know the training that they send to us is is daunting. Jason, your post, um, the post that, you know, on uh, Z's Instagram account, um, and I would love to get into that. I, I'm sure we're out of time, but that may be another session in itself, but, mm-hmm. you know, you, you comment all the time, you know, your hashtag is about separation season, right? Yeah, And sometimes that. some parents don't want to see that or don't want to hear that, but at the end of the day, it is. You can't handle the truth. TGG. That's me, see, we ballin' out of control. control. We skilled up and play this game. Our IQ on four. Guys, this has been a wonderful conversation. I hope those listening got something out of our journey as soccer parents and amateur aficionados of the game. I want to thank T. Lynn, Chantel, and Jason for their perspective. Uh, it's been real talk, and I know we enjoy sharing with you all of our journeys and all of the knowledge we have. And we promise to keep giving it to you. Make sure you catch us on Facebook and Instagram at Team Giving Go. And you can catch this podcast on our site at TeamGivingGo.com or Apple Podcasts. Feel free to hit us up with your questions or comments about your own journey. Until next time, keep developing to maximize the opportunities because opportunity is truly the only goal. Stay safe. TGG. That's me, see, we ballin' out of control. control. We skilled up and play this game. Our IQ on 4